Welcome to another episode of the Beef Bits Podcast. I'm Dr. Jeff Limcooler, Extension Beef Cattle Specialist at the University of Kentucky. Through the Beef Bits Podcast, we will share current news, management tips, new research, and other issues related to beef cattle production. I'll be joined by various guests to bring different views and insights on beef cattle topics. I hope you will follow or subscribe to the Beef Bits podcast and find the information useful. Well, I want to welcome you all to another episode of the Beef Bits podcast. Today, I'm joined by uh, my colleagues, Doug Shepard, Matt Adams, and Kevin Laurent. And today, we're going to talk a little bit about retained ownership programs for beef cattle. Uh, Doug, Matt, Kevin, welcome this morning. Glad to be here. You bet. So um, I thought this might be a good little uh, time to discuss this. Uh, there's been a lot of discussion regarding local beef production and, um, you know, buying locally. And, and there's also this other part of the industry that uh, some folks here in the eastern part of the U.S. don't think about as much because our main uh, market product, if you will, or feeder calves that would then go west uh, into the feeding industry. But the retained ownership opportunities are there. And I thought maybe we could just discuss a little bit about what retained ownership means and kind of what uh, is involved in some of the retained ownership programs. So uh, uh, if y'all want to just take a stab at that and tell us a little bit about what retained ownership programs mean to you all, that would be great. Well, I think basically that means the producer keeps or retains ownership of his animal through harvest. So you get all the expenses, all the experiences, whatever comes with that, just like that animal was still on your farm. And essentially it's a, um, these cattle then are, are not fed maybe here, but they could be sent somewhere else to another state like Texas or Nebraska or somewhere and finished out, right? Correct. So um, as you look at those programs, why would anybody consider, you, you mentioned you have to pay the additional feed, you got to pay the health processing and all those things and take the risk of death loss. Uh, why would somebody even think about retained ownership? I think the main reason, Jeff, is the information. If you're in this to make money, uh, probably going to be sorely disappointed. Not that fellows don't make money, but what actually comes out of this tremendous amount of data and information that you can use culling your cow herd and so forth. That's a, That's one of the things that we forget about is um, – the value of the information and, and the ability to make that uh, decision on maybe the next bull selection or the direction of the genetics in your herd. And we don't put a lot of quote unquote value on that information. We always just look at the end of the day, what did we make or what did we lose on a group of cattle? So uh, Matt, in, in your experience uh, working with the program, I think you all have actually, um, uh, put some programs or, or cattle into a program similar to this. And, you know, from a producer's perspective, um, what is that quote unquote knowledge and information? How is it helpful to you and what kind of value can you put on it? Yeah. So, uh, the way I look at it and yeah, on our personal farm, I mean, uh, basically a hundred percent of our calf crop goes through the tri-county program. 
but you know, you've got that information and it's using that information and capturing value that you're not really going to be able to capture any other way. Uh, you know, if you have a, have cattle that'll grade 70 or 80% choice, then, uh, those calves are, are going to bring the same at the stockyard most of the time as, as calves that grade 30% choice. Cause there's really no way to tell that when they're going through the ring. But, uh, you know, if you work on your genetics and being able to, to develop a calf crop that'll grade, that's really where we see profitability coming in on the uh, cow calf side is, is how those cattle will grade and how they'll cut, uh, and being able to capture some of those, uh, some of those quality grade premiums, uh, and also being able to, uh, to recognize a good health program and, uh, keeping those cattle healthy and keeping your death loss and your treatments down. It's a good point about, um, learning a little bit about the, the value of the cattle, um, yeah, as a as a buyer of those cattle, I wouldn't necessarily want you to know how those cattle are going to grade and the right. genetics are superior. Then you might want me to pay a little bit more <laughs> for them. Right, and and another thing, uh, just being able to to pull cattle together. You know, we see value through stuff like the CPH program uh, with our smaller producers here with smaller groups of calves. This is really it's another opportunity to be able to pull those cattle together and uh and be able to do something uh with them with a larger group and and capture a little more value that way as well that's a that's a good point you know when we went out uh when we had the mag 60 program a few years ago and and we stopped by and visited some of the um feedlots to try and see if there was interest in a program like that and and their willingness to pay a little bit more for those cattle um you know, the, the message was pretty loud and clear to us is that we're not going to pay any more for something that hasn't proven that it has more value, whether it be through genetics or be through health. So, you know, that's really a good comment, Matt, that the health programs that we're trying to look at, too, is is a value, not necessarily just the genetics themselves. So, so why don't uh, we jump into a little bit about the retain ownership program, Doug, that you all started with a few years ago. And uh, this program has been hosted by Iowa when, when I was up north. Uh, I know we had cattle that uh, came out of Minnesota and went down into the program. And, and we tried to get some cattle um, out of Wisconsin to participate as well. But tell us a little bit about uh, this Iowa program and, and what all is involved with it. Okay. Program was actually started uh, by three cattlemen's associations. That's where the Tri County comes from. Back in 1982, just as a, a little contest to see whose steer was the most profitable in the feedlot. Since then, uh, of course, Iowa State Daryl Busby, who was livestock area extension specialist out there at the time, he's the one that kind of kickstarted this thing and. Uh, they started that year, I think it was 82, and they had 35 consigners and 100-something calves or something. Um, it's expanded. There's about 27 states now in Manitoba, Canada, that use this as their uh, kind of state-retained ownership program. Um, I know the last 16 or so years that we've been involved in the program, we sent our first load in 2005. 
They've fed over 100,000 cattle, and I think in the 30 years of the program, they're way up over 200,000. We've shipped uh, about 33, 3,450 different shipments. Um, pretty much have shipped every month of the year, I guess. But we, the fall calvers are the ones that kind of kick this program off. They're usually a little more uh, innovative. And uh, so we always are sending a load of those calves pretty much in June, July, uh, in that time frame. And also send, usually ship some in December and January. So the... Um the program itself, then these these cattle, um, Matt, maybe you can address this. These these cattle don't go to a single feed yard, right? There are multiple um, feed yards that are in the program. Right, I believe Doug, you might correct me if I'm wrong. There's six or eight different feedlots in the program now. Yeah, like uh, it's twelve. Yeah, right. Kind of used to be. Uh, kind of in the early years and it's still this way when they start getting full it's kind of luck of the draw of, of who you get but really we've fed long enough and i think kevin with some of his groups where they've fed a few groups now if if a group of producers finds a feed yard that they really like dealing with uh they feel like they do a good job then uh typically you can kind of request that feed lot and and stay at the same lot so we've uh, most of our cattle out of this Hardin County group have, have went to the same lot uh, probably the last five to six years. Same guy, The same guy has been feeding them uh, every pen we, we get. We kind of have a, a standing reservation on a pen. When we get, get one pen out, he cleans it out, and we're ready to send another one. So, so Doug, what kind, of, um, what kind of services do they offer your cattlemen that send cattle out what what are they offering them as far as maybe the information that they're gathering as well as um is there any risk management as far as locking in prices or, or trying to manage some of the feed inputs and some of that they can do that if they want that's available to them uh the big thing and the big change i guess over uh, going out to the big commercial yards out west is Tri-County actually carries all the expenses through the whole period. So they take that out of the, the gross at the end and they send you a check for the net. So you're not getting a monthly feed bill or vet bill or whatever. Um, that was a real problem with the old KCA UK fax program years ago when people weren't getting paid timely and so forth. Um, Pretty much within a week after the last uh, cattle are harvested, farmers, you know, will receive their checks with all this data. Uh, they'll get reports uh, when the cattle get out there after the 28-day startup. Uh, they'll get another report if re-implant halfway through. Uh, and then at the end, they'll get complete feedlot data and financial information. We have yet to send a calf. We haven't got data, complete data back on. Uh, so you get it on each individual calf. And so they're going to get their carcass data back at the end as well. And right. Yeah. And each calf, so it stands on its own. They're sold on the grid. So uh, 
And same way on the feeding. They do that based on the Cornell model, uh, the feed intake and uh, whatever that calf's based on weight and so forth when they get out there. And and that feed intake data, Matt, you mentioned this while ago, I think, or, or maybe it was Doug, but you've got a pen. All your cattle from, from your loads are going together in the same pen. Is that correct? Correct. Uh, every now and then, uh, they'll give us a call or they know we're pretty easy to work with. If they've got a handful of calves that are local or coming from somewhere close, they might uh, throw those in, but it's usually somebody that's pretty reputable that's that's fed for several years that you know their uh, health programs up to date and everything. Uh, but it's really pretty rare that we'll have cattle commingled other than being commingled here in Kentucky before they get on the truck. So, Kevin, you you began participating. Uh, with with this same group through the PVAP program as a means to kind of expand beyond um, kind of the central Kentucky area. Uh, Doug, you, you guys said, I think you said you started 15, 16 years ago. Most of the producers have been relatively centrally located around Elizabethtown, haven't they? Well, yes, but we've also, I think there's been as many as 19 counties in one producer down Tennessee's participated and I know Kevin with his programs picked up and that's not counting all the eastern Kentucky counties that's just the ones you know around here so yep so Kevin you you've started to participate in this same Iowa program correct with the PVAP program yeah we did uh I guess we sent the first well let me back up a little bit when we came up with the PVAP program concept um and knew that we were going to have a feedlot option in it. The first person I called was Doug and Matt, you know, to, uh, to, to, for them to start educating me on how this process worked. And I got, I was lucky enough to travel out there with them and, and Chuck Crutcher. And, uh, and, and, and it has since, since we fed some cattle, I have brought some producers out there on a, on a trip. And, you know, Doug said from the get go on this, this whole uh, discussion about the information you know, the information you get is really good. And also to add to it, if we can ever get folks to go out there and see these feedlots, not just take a tour of a feedlot, but actually see a feedlot when you've got cattle in the feedlot, it puts a whole new light on what you're looking at. And uh, we were able to do that on our first group that we sent. I guess we sent the fall of 19. We were able to take that trip uh, first week in 2020. And then, of course, pandemic hit and we weren't able to to travel so we haven't been able to go back out since so we've sent what four loads or three and a half loads i should say uh since that initial load that we sent in 2019 and uh we've had mixed results i mean it's the the last 12 months i would say have been a tough tough times to feed cattle uh but our first load did very, very well um the market was just starting to turn uh, when those cattle went to slaughter, it was just right when we were easing into that pandemic. And, uh, so they got out of there with minimal losses, but the cattle have done well, but, um, you know, the best, again, the best part is just being able to, the education and information they get. I mean, it's just been unreal how it opens their eyes to some of the things, you know, uh, beyond when that calf leaves the farm, you know? Yeah, that's that's the one thing that we don't think about a lot of. I mean, um, 
that that you take a 400 to 600 pound calf there's a whole lot that goes into getting that calf to the end product and um it's a value for them to appreciate what all goes into that process at the end of the day. And uh, maybe rather than seeing the quote unquote feedlot industry as a, as a competitor or as the bad guy, they they see him more as a partner once they get out there and realize what they're trying to do. I just remember a few years ago, there was always the, the concern about, you know, this segment industry is trying to, profit off of my segment in industry and really we all are trying to work together to to make a high quality in meat product i wanted to touch base a little bit on um kind of you know the history now of, of going through and having so many cattle sent um out of here and and we we have had um one of our good colleagues from iowa state here Mm, back when we did one of the early beef efficiency conference and um, Daryl Busby came back and Daryl kind of was the extension component over in Iowa that helped uh, bring some of the information out on disposition and, and the value of health programs or, or maybe the cost of cattle getting sick. Um, but uh, I think he also did a good job when we asked him to, Doug, uh, to discuss how the Southeast cattle performed compared to other cattle and, um, maybe Doug, you could kind of share over the 15, 16 years that, uh, you guys have been sending cattle out there. Some of the things that you all have learned about the genetics and the performance of the cattle coming out of this region. Well, I think the biggest thing we learned early on was, and of course, as you said, Daryl done a tremendous amount of research on disposition scores. And, uh, we had one producer who was very much involved in this program for years and, uh, he had Charlotte cross cattle that were just plum crazy and uh, they performed very well and were very efficient in feedlot, but they sure gave the folks out there trouble when they tried to work them and uh, spent a lot of time with that guy and he could see the difference. And he actually bought several Angus bulls out of a feed efficiency program there in Iowa and uh, how that changed his herd and the disposition was just unbelievable uh, and of course all that transformed into more money in his pocket long term because as Daryl's uh, research shows pretty much $62 per head uh, on disposition so um, you know we've seen a big when we first start on this thing again uh, we really had trouble getting cattle to grade um, the guys have changed genetics, uh, done a little better job selecting cattle and so forth to go out there. And big swing, you know, in what we're seeing as far as the way these cattle have graded. We've really never had a problem with yield grade, uh, but quality grade was, we really struggled for a long time. It took us several years to get our numbers up. In fact, we got cattle pretty much regularly grade and prime now, and we went. Gosh, I don't know. Was three or four years ago, Matt? I guess where we had our first prime. Mm -hmm. Matt, um, in in the groups of cattle that you all have participated in, um, how how have you changed, or, or maybe you haven't changed, on some of the 
the targets, um, putting loads of cattle together. You know, a lot of times we don't think about this that um, when we're putting a group of cattle together to put on a on a tractor trailer load, uh, one, how many head are you trying to get on that load, and then two, what kind of weight variation is on that truck, and then how does that impact the the weights coming out at the end of the feeding program. Right. Uh, so yeah, so just to start out just kind of basics for people who don't know, uh, you know, a tractor trailer load, we're basically talking about pounds more than we are head. Uh, so your uh, a full legal loads, 48,000 pounds. What we usually try and shoot for coming off the farm is 50,000 or so. We might go a little over that. Uh, because those cattle are going to shrink some from the farm to wherever they're sorted and weighed and load on, loaded on the truck. Uh, that's another thing we didn't really mention before. When when we're loading these cattle, we're going to individually weigh them uh, before they go on the truck. So we've got a, a at-home weight that day, and and that's kind of what that value is going to be set off of is, is that weight and what they graded on that day uh, from a USDA grader. Uh, so you're talking anywhere from 65 to 80 head uh, on a load just uh, based off that 48 to 50,000 pound weight range. Uh, we've had variances as much as four to 500 pounds on a load. Really, when I'm trying to find cattle and co-mingle, I'm more worried about birth date. Uh, really, that's when we've seen the most consistent groups come out of is the the date those calves were born if they're all close to the same age uh more than the same weight because your frame size from producer to producer is going to change some uh you know you may have a producer with calves that are going to finish at 1100 pounds and you may have some that they're going to be finished at 15 or 1600 pounds so uh more concerned really with with birth date and making sure they're at least born in the same calving season uh we have went in and put some open replacement heifers finishing some loads out, and that works really, really good as well. But, uh, yeah, mainly we'd like to have them within a couple hundred pounds of each other, but that doesn't doesn't always happen. But, yeah, as long as we can keep the age the same, uh, they're pretty well going to kill the same time. Uh, the, and it just seems like the smaller calves, they never catch up if you've got some smaller the smaller end of the calves out there, uh, they're just never going to catch the rest of them. And then, uh, you know, you end up having to do, they like to do two sorts, uh, two kill dates on a pin. And, you know, that makes it a little harder on them out there because they'll have to hold some of those smaller calves back and throw them in a different pin somewhere else or, or whatever to give them 30 or 40 more days to finish ahead of the rest of them. So what kind of target age are you looking at then when you guys are putting your loads together? How how old do you want these calves to be when they when they go on to uh, the trailer to be shipped out there? I like to see them and you know Doug's done this a little longer than I have, but it seems like we have less health problems kind of the older those calves are. So uh you know a short yearling to yearling type calf seems to work really well. You know I'd like to have them at least 10 months of age or so. And Kevin, I think you all have kind of been shooting for that as well with some of your loads, haven't you? We we have, and uh, the and I would I'd back up what you said. It's when we've gotten them too young and too too fresh. Yep. Uh, 
I think you need to be looking at least a 60 day precondition period. 90 day would probably even be better, you know. Yeah, there's some old, good old closeout data that, um, you know, very clearly shows that, um, and we have to correlate it to age, but the, the lighter that cattle are placed on feed, the higher the sickness and higher the death rates are going to be. So, you know, those yearling type cattle just seem to do well better. They've got, uh, you know, a little more appetite when they get into that yard and get on feed. And the old saying is that sick cattle uh, don't eat. So, um, and those cattle that come in and eat then don't seem to get sick. And if we can get them with a good appetite and good room and capacity to get in there and start eating, it seems like they just do better. The, some people had said, well, those that are that are going to die have already died by that point, too, <laughs> which is maybe not a good way to look at it, to be honest. But um, there is a little bit maybe of, of some truth to that, that some of these calves that maybe get uh, some pneumonia when they're a calf, um, go through the heat of the summer and you know they wind up being lungers and 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 don't quite make it because they uh, just can't handle that summer heat stress but um, as we move forward um, thinking about some of the things that you have learned Doug um, is is there any any kind of points of discussion or, or if somebody's thinking about participating in a retained ownership program what, what's some advice that you would maybe give them before they made that decision? Well, I think one thing we need to emphasize too is we require these cattle be CPH 45, meet those qualifications. We're also uh, BBDPI testing these calves before they go out. Um, that's been pretty important and has worked well. Um, but to think about it, um, we kind of tell folks we don't want them to send their whole calf herd to start with. Uh, just put your toe in the water a little. Uh, we don't have a minimum requirement, but they ought to send at least five. If they're using several different bulls, they ought to send some calves from each of those bulls. Uh, if they know uh, who bred what. Um, and the more information that they can provide the more information they're going to get back. So if they know how old their cows are, uh, you know, what bull they use, birth dates, weaning weights, all that, we'll collect all that data, ship that out. That stays with that calf and they'll provide all that information back. <clears throat> they do a tremendous job of putting out a very detailed sire summary each year on all the bulls that's been in this program from the start. Um, pretty interesting information, but the amount of data you get back is tremendous and it's kind of overwhelming. And that's one thing. You guys have been real good coming down when we got a group of new producers is going over this closeout data. Jeff and Greg uh, Renfro and Dare and several of them come down and sit across from the table with these producers and go over this information column by column. Uh, you know, we can make some recommendations to producers on, you know, what they need to look at or change going forward. And our guys have said, Jeff, over and over again, uh, that's probably the best beef educational meeting they've ever sat through in their life. So, but it's a lot of data. It's pretty overwhelming. There is a lot of data. And, and, um, 
as you go through that, Matt, have, have there been any quote unquote, uh, um, I don't know how to say this the right way, but uh, <laughs> folks that have realized that maybe their cattle just didn't fit what they thought they had. Maybe they thought their cattle were better than they actually were. Oh yeah. Seems like we'd have some of those about every group, but, uh, you know, that'll, we won't get into this a whole lot, but that'll vary from breed to breed. We've had some purebred produce producers of certain breeds that have sent cattle out there that we just could not get them to grade. And, uh, I think without some, some introduction, of some, some more carcass genetics, that w- wasn't going to happen. But, uh, and I'll just add a little bit to what Doug said about, you know, if you're wanting to uh, try it with a handful of calves, what I'll usually tell people, if you've got some that are off color of the rest of the group, uh, you know, pink eye scars, something like that, something that's going to get uh, knocked at the stockyard, then uh, try and send those because that's, you know, it's something that's not going to fit the group, going to get pulled out and sold as a single or something. Uh just just try those first it's you know you're if you've got a red calf with a group of uh, black ones or something the only thing that's knocking you out from out there is a cab premium uh so give it a try because they're probably going to get get uh get docked harder than the rest of the group but if they go through the yard that's a good point kevin as you have worked through kind of the early stages and and um maybe have some quote-unquote more fresh on the top of your mind, the examples of things that can go wrong. Um, you know, when you're discussing this opportunity with producers, what are, what are some things that you would share with them as they think about participating in a retained ownership program that they need to be aware of, of the risks and some of those things? Well, first off, I, I kind of reiterate what Doug said that, it's, it's about the education. It's a, it's a fact finding mission, if you will. Uh, don't go after it thinking you're going to add, you know, a couple hundred dollars profit to your, to your cattle. Uh, you know, dipping your toe in the water, like you said, that's, that's, that's the concept I try to, to encourage them to do. And, and I've as, I have discouraged as many as I have encouraged to participate because once I discuss it with them, I can kind of get a feel for what their motives are. And then, um, you know, um, it, it's not it's not for the faint of heart. <laughs> uh, the last year, the last year and a half has been pretty tough. But I mean, that's <clears throat> those kind of things cycles with, you know, with the market and whatnot. We have learned a lot. Uh, our producers have learned a lot. We've learned that just because they look good and it's a good even set going on the truck doesn't necessarily mean it's going to make a lot of money. Uh, we have learned that our cattle can grade. Uh, I'd say in, in general, the cattle we have sent out there, gain has been the thing that we wish we could, you know, we feel like they're not gaining quite as, we hit all the average or exceed the averages on the quality grade in the carcass. But for some reason, our gain <clears throat> seems to be a little less, <clears throat> excuse me, from uh, than what that average is. And what's kind of neat, when they send you that closeout, they give you a running average for the last 12 months of cattle that have gone through that program. So you've got a benchmark to kind of compare your load to, and I, that's kind of neat stuff to see. And uh, so you can kind of see how you stack up. So uh, it, it's been, it's been a good learning process. We have learned also that maybe a little price protection is warranted and that's hard to do as a group when it comes to say feed prices, because the group would have to pretty much agree but now from uh, 
from a from a, the calf price standpoint, uh, we had one individual that fed in a pretty tough load that got some price protection on his own through the LRP, and and it really covered him. I mean, it it kept him from having a disaster. And so, you know, we we're trying to share those kind of experiences with the group. Uh, something just kind of on the side. Uh, Matt touched on it earlier, but. Uh, these hefferets, if we want to call them hefferets, these open heifers, there's an opportunity there. Um, I, and I don't know, you know, we all, you know, if we keep and develop our own bred heifers, uh, we're going to have some open heifers. Most of us don't have a load, obviously, but that might be an opportunity for some producers to work together. And um, I know Ben Lloyd in Western Kentucky has, has, has done a lot of that, but we, I guess that last load, we helped uh, the Hardin County bunch finish out a load, and I think about almost 20 of those calves were, were were hefferets or open heifers, and they're so devalued at that 900 to 1100 pound range when you identify them as open. I mean, they're kind of a mutt standing in Kentucky because you don't have a load of them, but if you can assemble a load and feed those heifers, they're still will finish young enough to be under that 30 month. Uh, deal and 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 the value that you have in that they are standing in kentucky versus the added value you can put for, on them through the feedlot give a for instance those calves average around 150 positive return after all expenses we just got to close out on that pen back in april and uh those cattle killed in december but we had to wait until april to finish out that low we had a big spread but so we have $150 to the good when those cattle probably would have sold for 80, 90 cents a pound in Kentucky, being an open heifer at a sale barn in Kentucky. So that could be an opportunity for some cooperative marketing, some cooperation between some producers and pooling those heifers together and feeding them. That's a good point. Um, you mean, when you look at them in, in our area, that's, that's a real challenge. Just, um, just trying to get enough pulled together out of, if, you, if I took my two or three to the sale barn, you know, that that, that gets to be a bit of a, a knock. They're going to sell more on that lower end value because you just can't get a load of them put together. So that's that's a really good way to think about those. Um, Doug, what what other things have, have you guys kind of learned? I mean, there's a ton of data that you've collected. And uh, is there any season, you know, is there better to send groups out that are fall born versus spring born or just kind of that market seasonality that makes the decision a little easier on some of these groups to send? Well, the fall calves generally always going to do better because they're going to hit that, that spring market. Um, overall, they've done, I guess, as well as uh, fall born calves uh, in the program. But I think the biggest thing with you kind of touched on it earlier everybody thinks their calves are the best and we've seen a wider spread in a on a load per farm than we have you know on a whole load and guys you cannot convince them of that until you show them the data but you know it's we've shown years and years of data 250 to $500 spread between that best and worst calf from that farm, you know. And when they're standing on their own out there, uh, you know, being sold on the grid, it, everything's going to show. So Absolutely. When the 
information you get back, I mean, they break down every single dime of expense and everything. So, so along those lines, um, um, what are some of the things that, that producers really need to be doing to prepare these calves to be put on that load and, and sent out? We've, we've thrown the terms, you know, CPH out and that, but maybe just break down exactly or, or not exactly, but the basic things that they really need to do to prep these calves to get them ready to go. Well, they need to, you know, go through a preconditioning program, keep those calves on the farm, feed them. Uh, the CPH program requires 45 days from time they're weaned till they're shipped. Um, Tri-County originally, uh, they only required 28 days. And they were very impressed um, with our 45-day deal. And the thing that, I guess, from the first group on that, kind of blew those guys away when those calves come off the truck they went straight to the feed bunk they knew how to drink how to eat out of a trough uh, so they start off running where you know they generally put long stem hay out for them and our calves they'll go you know right to a grain ration so um, if you follow the cph guidelines give the two rounds of shots with the modified live and so forth uh, do a lot better. Uh, Matt discussed these bigger calves. You know, we've averaged right at 700 pounds uh, on all the loads we've shipped out there. Uh, we sure enough found these bigger cattle make the trip a whole lot better than those 450, 500 pound calves. Uh, they just do better when they get out there. So that's the main thing. And like was discussed earlier, if you got these off color calves or you know, some with issues, this is the way to send them because when they rip the hides off of them out there, it doesn't matter. Yep, that's a good point. Matt, do you have anything to add on that uh, discussion on prepping these calves? Uh, I'll just kind of reiterate what Kevin said earlier on, too. I think, you know, we want to, we say CPH 45 and 45, have them weaned at least 45 days, but 60 to 90 is better. Uh, and you know we've seen seen some gain problems on calves that were fleshy, uh, so maybe not push those calves quite as hard. I mean, if they go out there weighing a little lighter, but they've got the frame, they're going to make it up pretty quick once they get out there. Uh, and seems like they can keep that that gain a little stronger once they're out there on feed. Uh, so that's you know another thing to look at, and that saves you some feed cost here too. Uh, and just a, like we said before, a, a good health program. Uh, work with your vet on that. Work with the folks out at Tri County. Will give you suggestions. I mean, we've we've tweaked our uh, kind of our recommended protocol here out of Hardin County over the years with with help from the from the feed yard operators and from the Tri County staff out there. Just of what products and what uh, combinations of stuff that they're seeing that works and. Uh, what they have the least problems out of. So just those those guys are, are good to talk with you, and, and especially the feedlot operators. I tell people that are new to, you know, don't be afraid to call them. Uh, we give them the, the operators, the owner's cell phone numbers, uh, and they're fine. They appreciate it if you, if you call them and talk to them because uh, they can help you work through some problems and give you suggestions, and, you know, they do this every day, so... Uh, they see cattle that have come from all different 
backgrounds and uh, all different programs. So they're there to help. And really, I mean, they're working for you. They're you're paying yardage to them. So they're basically basically employees of you. So so work with them and get as much information from them as you can. That's some good points. So, so uh, Kevin, um, if anybody was interested in participating in the PVAT program to um, participate in the retain ownership program, how would they, <clears throat> excuse me, how would they go about getting that kind of information and, and learning a little bit more about that program? Well, the best thing they can do is call their county agent, their local A&R agent, start there. And, uh, and I think we have gotten the word out enough to where they know to call one of the specialists, uh, I, I kind of lead this program, so if they can get a hold of me, that helps. Uh, and and then again, I, that's when I want to have that conversation. You know, uh, I encourage our, our A and R agents to have that conversation initially, but um, to make sure they have the right idea of why they want to do this. Um, and I'm speak specifically talking about the feedlot option of PVAP. Um, a good candidate for PVAP feedlot is somebody who has been preconditioning their calves on the farm uh, already. Uh, so we want somebody who has been doing either a CPH, some kind of value-added precondition type program uh, before and is and knows how to handle those calves on the farm to prep them to make this trip. Um, because I think it's too much of a learning curve to take someone who's been selling balling calves and take them all the way to the feedlot program. So. Uh, I think that's a good intermediate step. And that's why we have the other option of PVAP, which is the PVAP precondition to try to help reach folks who have not been routinely preconditioning their calves before selling them here in, you know, locally. So, uh, so the, the two build on each other. So, uh, uh, you know, and, and the more data we get on the PVAP precondition program, the more we're seeing that 60 plus day feeding period. I mean, we can feed cattle, that, that calf that we may not can finish cattle, but we can, we can feed that, that young calf coming off the cow very, very efficiently uh, here in, in, in Kentucky. That's the best part of that calf's uh, growth curve. The most efficient part of that growth curve is probably from weaning to, you know, to that short yearling stage. So uh, that, that first 60, 90, hundred days after, after uh, weaning. So uh, getting folks to do that and capitalize on that. And then, you know, if they want to go to the next step and let a let a professional feedlot try to, you know, and, and, and then have the opportunity to tap into a program where you get all this data back. Um, I, I know Doug hit, hit on it. I mean, people don't maybe don't realize or some do who have tried it. You know, back in the day when EID came out, we thought we were going to be able to slap EIDs in cattle and get carcass data back and feedlot data. Remember that years ago? And I mean, if you're not if you're not owning that calf in the feedlot and you're not uh, you know, or hooked into some kind of good program, you're not going to, it's going to be hit or miss at best that whether you get information back. So uh, this is an opportunity that you can tap into a program where you can be sure of getting that kind of data back and learn something about your cattle. That's a good point. And, and um, as we get ready to wrap up here, um, Doug and Matt, if, if there are folks that um, are thinking about wanting to, to get a little bit more information back on their cattle genetics and that, um, could they reach out to you guys as well to participate even, um, outside of the PVAP program? Yeah. 
And, and so um, all they would need to do then is contact the Hardin County Extension Office and ask for um, uh, either Doug or Matt, and then you all can kind of help them learn a little bit more about that Iowa program and if it's something that they might want to pursue. Yep. Any closing thoughts, Doug? No, uh, I guess kind of on what you just said, you know, we've taken our dog and pony show all over the state. Uh, Cattlemen associations uh, want us to come do a presentation with them. We've done that. I don't know how many counties, but a bunch across the state. We'll bring some producers that have been involved in this program. Of course, Matt comes with us and uh, he's, you know, shipped cattle for years out there too. So uh, they can talk to some real life guys. I guess the other thing is a big difference in our feedlots and what we get out West, you know, we're looking at capacity is 900 to the biggest feed yard in the States, 10,000 head, which is actually in this program. And they're all farmer feeders, fifth and sixth generation folks. So as Kevin says, going out, we do take tours out there and sitting down with these folks across the tables, pretty unique experience good information. Matt, do you have any closing thoughts you'd like to add? Uh, basically just sit down and look at it if you're interested. And like I said, we're any of the three of us would be happy to talk with you and uh, kind of talk through your, your calves and what your goals are and see if it's a fit for you. Kevin, uh, any, any words of wisdom? Well, I don't know about wisdom, but I would encourage people to take advantage of any value-added marketing options they have. Uh, and if you've never weaned your calves, I mean, that's a good place to start. You know, enrolling PVAT precondition, uh, you got a, probably a 90% chance of having a positive return. I mean, I got years of data to show that. Uh, that's a good first step. And uh, because if you look at market reports and you see how many lots are selling value added versus just regular cattle there there's a difference there and then in the the market is really really wanting these lean calves and, uh, and i think it's just a way to distinguish yourself and get yourself a, you know we talk about premiums you can either call it a premium or a discount but it distinguishes your calves from the regular run-of-the-mill cattle on any given sale day so those are some good closing thoughts. And, um, you know, the, the market data shows us time and time again, that is incremental improvements. And if they've been weaned, that's one. If they've been weaned and given some vaccinations, that's that next one. If they've been weaned for 45 days, that's more value. So, um, yeah, that, that, that's a really good kind of wrap up, kind of take home point is you don't have to run. You can just start with a little step making management improvement and before you know it, then you'll be at a full sprint and trying to capture as much value as you can. Well, fellas, I, I want to thank you all for um, participating in this discussion this morning. I think it's been good uh, information and, you know, we, we throw these terms out there a lot about retained ownership and that, but um, now folks maybe have a better idea of, of an actual program that they could participate in and, and learn a little bit more about how their cattle may perform in that next uh, production phase and, and what kind of management changes um, may help them improve that end product. So uh, again, I want to thank you, Doug and, and Matt and Kevin for taking time out this morning and visiting with us. Yep. Thank you. Thank you, dear. 
And again, uh, if if anybody wants some more information, feel free to reach out to uh, the Hardin County Extension Office and ask for Doug or Matt, and they can get you more information there or contact your local county extension office and they can put you in touch with uh, Kevin. Everybody, have a great rest of the week. All right. Take care. See you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Beef Bits podcast. We hope you found it enjoyable and informative. Be sure to subscribe to the Beef Bits podcast for future episodes as well as listen to previous ones. Until next time, be safe and reach out to your county extension office for more information on beef management topics.